Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. We love to talk about business trust on this program. And what is more important than business trust than the traceability and integrity of products that we consume and use? And so we have an expert on this topic, and she's going to tell us all about it. We're going to hop over to Norway to do it. So I would like to welcome to the program, Christine Axelson. Christine, welcome. Thank you so much. Hi. Uh, so I'm Christine. I am the CEO of uh, Kessler. So we are a, a business-to-business uh, SaaS technology platform, uh, and we, we deliver an enterprise solution for product digitization and traceability. So in fact, we digitize everyday products to gather and share data on a product and its uh, value chain to enable safe, uh, sustainable, and responsible consumption. And we already work with large players in uh, food, FMCG, pharma, agriculture, and industrial goods. Uh, and we typically sell our solutions and, and go to market to uh, an ecosystem of partners like um, Accenture, Microsoft, Rockwell Automation, uh, etc. And, and uh, to date, we've uh, already digitized and accumulated 25 billion uh, products. That's insane. I actually... I, I think of 25 billion products that can be traced is is pretty impressive. But let's let's talk about why traceability, just so our our listeners understand. Because I can think of reasons like fraud in the supply chain or making sure that things truly are sustainable. Or, but but tell us why what problem most people have when they come to you and and say we need Kessler to help us. So if you typically go all the way to the top, right, the um, the way I see it is that this lack of traceability is is uh, is the main obstacle to to safe and sustainable uh, consumption, and that goes for both, you know, the brand side, the responsibility that brands have, uh, the responsibility of governments to keeping their um, inhabitants and and, and their consumers safe, but also uh, for for consumers on on knowing. Uh, what they consume and make educate the choices and and um, because you know brands they're expected to take full responsibility on of a product they put in the market mm-hmm. and increasingly so as as new regulations are, are coming they're supposed to be responsible for what happens in the upstream uh, is there um uh forced labor uh, involved in in uh, producing this project how uh, what's the carbon footprint of the transportation uh, of the products and um and in reality most brands have very little control uh beyond the point of manufacturing so they get a lot of ingredients they manufacture the product and they ship it out to the world and we we now see in sort of an increasing um tendency both because of new regulations but also because of the responsibility aspect of, of brands taking more and more of, of a responsibility of, of their entire um, life cycle of the products. And we also see on the other side, much more educated consumers, uh, consumers that are, do care about 
uh, how pr products are manufactured, what kind of ingredients that go into it, and, and also the end of life and repairability and re reusability of, of a, um, a product that they, um, they purchase. And, and so customers come to us. So our customers would typically be branded goods companies, mm -hmm. anything from all your everyday products could be fast moving consumer goods, could be, you know, your food, could be your apparel, furniture, could be really anything. Um, they come to us with, usually they come with, with um, a point problem. Um, I can use an example of, of um, um, one of the world's uh, largest dairy companies. It's a Dutch uh, company called Friesland Campina. So they are um, uh, a provider of most dairy products, but, but amongst them infant formula. Um, and infant formula is, is to some extent a demonized product, right? Uh, there's been problems with a lot of problems with counterfeits. There's been problems with diversion products ending up in markets that are not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of trust um, on the consumer side. Also, because there's been scandals with, with infant formula, right? Yes. And, and and Campina, they had to. They had a lot of, of goals that they wanted to achieve, right? They wanted to make sure that there were no counterfeit products that could make it into to their supply chain on, or even reach the consumers under the brand of, of Friso. They wanted to make sure their product ended up in the right markets, uh, complying with, with uh, local regulations. But they also wanted to show to the end consumers this entire product journey from grass to glass, because this is a part of their brand promise, really. They, they tell their consumers that they, they uh, provide, you know, a, a food item from, from grass to glass. So essentially what our technology enables them to do is to um, have a, an end consumer tap or scan uh, a product with their phone in, the, uh, in a retail store or post purchase. And then they would get uh, an interface uh, showing the entire journey of that exact uh, can of infant formula in hand. They can see when it was imported. And in this case, it's in the Chinese market, when it was imported, um, how it was shipped, when it was quality checked, uh, production information, but also which farms um, the milk in this, this uh, can is coming from. And I think that's, uh, first of all, it's, it's uh, delivering on the brand promise of Friesland Campina. It's, it's uh, avoiding any kind of, of counterfeits or, or diversion of, of products, but it also, it also enables them to comply with local regulations. Um, but I think it's also meeting a trend where on the brand side, uh, Friesland Campina retain complete control of how the product travels through the supply chain. And on the consumer side, consumers... Uh, can get insights, you know, as, as deep as they want, really, to um, and also a, a confirmation, uh, trusting that that uh, they deliver on this brand promise of, of uh, grass to glass. Well, I think there's so many aspects to this, like you said, of making sure that it's not forced labor, that it's appropriate labor, that making sure you can source the actual start and the origins of the products and and the carbon footprint. And we often talk about this that. You know, you're you're sitting on the continent of Europe. I'm sitting over here in the United States, and I I think in some ways the continent of Europe is further ahead than the U.S. when it comes to caring about carbon footprint and when it comes to caring about certain things. Um, do you see the rise of this type of traceability as something that all business leaders, even if they're scratching their head, listening, going, I don't know how this applies to me right now, um, that 
it's coming? Where do you see the, the waves of this coming across the globe? Which, which places care about this first? No, but I think even if, even if you don't have, or you don't think you have a consumer pool for increased traceability, I think there's, there's a, there's with the increasing complexity and volatility of global supply chains, right? Global supply mm-hmm. chains, and we've seen this a lot over the last few years, right? Yes. With the pandemic, with the war in, in Europe, and, and even with that container ship that was stuck in the, in the Suez Canal, right? Disrupting uh, um, global supply chains and, and, um, and even disrupting the entire global economy, right? So, so I think, um, and, and, and this impacts, you know, prices, it impacts supply, and uh, with creating a level of visibility for, for brands on how their their um, products are 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 uh, moving through the the life cycle, they're going to be able to better plan and understand uh, demand, better plan risk, and some of the reasons for just keeping a digital track of of, uh, of um, your supply chain or keeping track of all the products that that flow through the supply chain. I mean, you can. Um, there is also kind of avoidance of loss and avoidance of risk, uh, because according to to, to research, um, brands lose massive amounts of, of uh, revenue from products ending up in the wrong market. They they don't have they have products that are destined for one market ending up in in, in, a, in a different market with these different prices. Um, and also this ability to do targeted recalls. That's one sort of major yeah. uh, way of, of savings because normally when, when recalls are done now, it's, it's basically recall everything of that brand or between this and this expiry date in the market because you don't know whether that item was part of the compromised container or the, the compromised batch production. So I think they're mere just cost savings and um, that um, I, I think most uh, brand global brand owners would be aware of if uh, would know of um, and, and it would take some of the, the boxes. So Christine, um, I want to flip because this is so great to talk about Kessler, but you are a, a pretty impressive CEO yourself um, and you had um some wonderful stops along the way. Give us a little bit about your your background and, and what intrigued you to to come to Kessler um, in the first place. Um, so prior to joining uh, Kessler, I was a CEO of a high growth um, outdoor product company. Um, and through that venture, I developed, a, I would say, a curiosity and, and an understanding of the, the physical value chain. Um, and uh, and also that complexity in sourcing materials and products and getting moving them all the way from from uh, the manufacturing site, which is usually on the other side of the globe, and and, and to our, our global markets. Um, um, so that sort of having been a brand owner and also having known having known how little insight you have into who's actually. Uh, using your products and and uh, with, with the Kessler technology, when when someone makes a scan, we will know that there is a there is an interaction with the product. We could even know who it is if if you uh, allowed us to. But but so that kind of drove me, and I also saw um, the challenges with with the counterfeit bolts and and um, so that's sort of when I understand that there was a, lo- a solution to these kind of problems um, w- w- in terms of the te- Kessler technology. That that really. Um, um, sort of inspired me to to uh, try to bring this uh, technology to the world. Um, prior to to um, that sports company, we sold off to a, a, a sports conglomerate, 
Prior to that, I was part of building a uh, global news and analytics uh, company um, uh, on the carbon emissions and power gas uh, markets. Um, that company we sold to Thomson Reuters back in 2010. And, and that also was sort of part of a, a, um, a learning where I realized how fun it is to build companies. Um, <laughs> And, and so I guess that's kind of what I brought with me to Kessler, these, uh, these experiences of, of, uh, of uh, meeting founders with brilliant ideas and then uh, contributing to t- bringing that idea uh, into the world and, and uh, commercializing it. Well, so and for, for our listeners, I got to tell you, I can see Christine and I can see the twinkle in her eye when she says when she's <laughs> talking about this topic. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of founders out there who would, who are like, yes, bring me somebody exactly like Christine. <laughs> um, you also, I want to just comment that, you know, this concept of getting outside of the company and seeing what else is going on and keeping your finger on the pulse. You sit on a lot of boards. How important is it to you to make sure that you have a wider lens of what's happening in the world? Um, I guess uh, what my, my experience have, have taught me from, from uh, being part of building um, different ventures or different uh, companies is that there's always similar situation. Might not be a similar product, it might not be a similar customer or a similar, but, but there, are, there are things that look like each other, right? There, there are things that you can recognize from one situation to, to the other. And then you accumulate all of these scenarios and then I guess it's called experience right when um and and I think uh also continuing to uh look into those kind of scenarios or situation outside of your own company is is uh quite educational um and I will always bring I it's for me, um, contributing to the growth of other companies is, is a twofold thing. It's for me to keep myself, yeah, keep the um, keep myself educated and, and challenge. Oh, this is how we do it, but they do it this way. Could that be, you know, applicable for for our situation? Uh, but then at the same time, to share back, uh, I've seen something like this before. Uh, it was not the same market. It was not, not the same product and not the same company. But what we did was was this. Can, can, can that be of, of help or of use? Could this be a way to think about solving the challenge or approaching, you know, a partner or a business? Or um, um, And I think um, it's always about when building companies, it's always about trying to find, you know, that, the right go to market model. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to find the right business model, right? Who is willing to pay what? Uh, how? Who is willing to pay how much for what? Uh, and that's also, a, at least in the early phase, a kind of tricky question that that most um, uh, companies and founders should really go several rounds to to try to find the solution to. Well, talking about growing companies, I always like to ask my guests if we came back and talked to you in two or three years, what's the story for Kessler? What's your growth trajectory? What's your personal dream and vision for the organization? You know, I think we have, um, we're, um, I would say, a company with, uh, with a quite, I would say, mature, um, well-developed uh, uh, platform uh, for product digitization and traceability. And I see now a wave of opportunities coming towards us because of this pull from consumers, governments, and, and brands. So I 
hope and think that that our platform will be the backbone technology for a, a range of, of um, global brands in uh, a range across, across a range of, of industries, and and uh, that we will be our the preferred technology partner for um, our, our our biggest and most important partners. Fantastic. Natalie, we just, Natalie, Christine, we just thank you so much. I'm looking at, at the, your person who's supporting you. Um, so much for coming and, and talking with us today and, and telling us about things. I have another quick question for you. What is the climate like in Norway for entrepreneurs and for people who are starting businesses? Is it, um, would you say, um, booming challenging is there a certain sector that seems to be doing well in norway um no i would say it's uh, it's booming it's um and, and uh, more now uh more so now than than 10 years ago um and we typically have um a lot of industries in norway where we have um inherent strength uh typically oil and gas uh hydropower uh, wind power, and, and we try to now kind of take that uh, technology and, and deploy it into um, to new new problems. And uh, so the the um, what the what Norwegian engineers know of, of uh, oil and gas can be deployed in in uh, new energy, like in uh, wind and, and solar. And um, so I think there is a there is a, a booming. Um, group of, of companies in uh, in the areas where we have uh, inherent strengths natural resources uh, but uh, but also uh, also on kind of consumer facing uh, products to some extent but um, and I think the advantage of of building a company in a super small country like Norway is that you have to think global from day one mm-hmm. uh, because your whole market simply just not big enough right so there is this um, kind of inherent force in in trying to uh, bring your company outside of, of the national borders from, from the get-go. I really think that's a relevant point that you bring up. I was speaking to another CEO last week, and he was talking about how grateful he was that he found a business partner right out of the gate who was based on another continent because he had said if he had just kept his lens in the United States, it would have been much slower growth that it was his second company he was building and he was amazed at how much he, it was accelerated by starting off with a global mindset. So um, I really appreciate what you've just commented on there. Christine, if people want to learn more, um, how can they reach you? How can they find out more about Kessler? Oh, they should go to uh, Kessler.com, K-E-S-S-L-E-R. Um, and then there's my contact information and there's also a lot of information about Kessler and what we do and some brilliant use cases where you can uh, read up on what digitization and traceability can do for your company. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing this topic, letting our listeners know more. Um, if Christine has said something that you think somebody else needs to hear or there's an introduction that needs to be made, please reach out to her. If there's a disruptive CEO you think I need to speak with, send me a note at connectedalisonkeysummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Thank you again. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. 
To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.